You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. All right, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. We are going to be looking at verse 8 this morning. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, several years back, a couple years back, I guess, uh, what would this be? Three years. Three years back, we, uh, me and the boys uh, and Kara and my brother Jason and my nephew Daniel all decided we were going to go up Cali Creek and uh, do some grayling fishing, which is... Um, a uh, pretty adventurous little trip to get up into there. You go as far as your boat will take you, and then you kick off a canoe, and then you basically drag the canoe for miles and miles and miles and miles up into the hills that you see across the other, uh, across the river there, uh, because that's where it gets to clear, crystal clear water, and the grayling are up in the little eddies and things like that, um, hunting for whatever it is that they hunt for, and it's a pretty good, pretty good time. Uh, but it's just pristine country and uh, beautiful water. And so when we were talking about packing for this trip, uh, you know, I'm going through food stuff and making sure we got, you know, uh, plenty of bug spray and all of the things. And then when I was talking to Jason, who had done this trip before, I said, do I need to like plan to bring water? Because obviously when you're canoeing, you know, every every pound matters because I'm dragging this thing all the way up. And he's like, nope, no big deal. I've always just, you know, catch it out of the stream right there. It's clear water. Everything's great. And I said, all right, sounds great. Um, So we go up, we go on the trip and we have this, we have a blast. And uh, and it was fine. We were you know getting water to drink uh, out of the out of the stream, and everything's great, and wonderful, until about uh, I don't know four or five days after I get back from this trip, and everything is not right in this world. And uh, apparently, I was the only person that happened to catch a Nalgene bottle that apparently some critter peed upstream uh, of, and I caught what is affectionately known as. Uh, beaver fever, otherwise uh, technically called Giardia, and uh, I will. I'm here to tell you that that is not cool at all. There's nothing fun about uh, beaver fever, other than it has a funny name. Beyond that, it is not great. And it was one of those moments where I realized the value of the word pure. Right, pure water. So for Christmas that year, the kids bought Dad a water purifier uh, to take on those trips with me. Um, when we think of the concept of pure, uh, it is something that is uh, of value to us. We really value pure water. We value pure air. Uh, and uh, when things are not pure, uh, it causes health problems. It causes all kinds of issues with our lives, and we don't uh, enjoy that at all. And, of course, the, the word pure in our English language can be applied to uh, all kind of things, right? We talk about things like pure love, meaning that it's a, a love that doesn't have conditions to it or that kind of thing. It's, it's genuine and heartfelt, uh, pure forgiveness, that there's, again, no strings attached. It's just genuine in nature of that. And so when we encounter the word pure in Scripture, we have kind of a mindset of uh, purity, a picture of what we think it means uh, for something to be pure, clean, uh, without blemish, without marking, uh, without um, you know, any kind of thing that taints it or changes it from what it truly is to something that is 
uh, different and other. And so when we read the words of Jesus in these Beatitudes that we've been walking through, and he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And again, we've said that the word blessed that's used here in, uh, in the Greek literally means happy or one who ought to be congratulated, congratulatory, that this is such a good thing that people ought to slap you on the back and say congratulations of how amazing this is. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We're going to look at four different things about this this morning. We're going to look at the reward. We're going to look at the problem. We're going to look at the solution, and we're going to look at the practice just as we walk through this. We're going to start at the end of this verse and look at the reward. It says uh, that the happy are those who are pure in heart because they shall see God. The Greek word that's used here for us to see literally means that same concept of us physically seeing with our eyes, but it is in a definitive sense, in the sense that it, it's not saying this action might happen. It says this action will happen. And this ought to be one of those things as we're reading through this. Remember we said that the Beatitudes, um, they're almost strange in the way that Jesus writes them because many of them feel backwards like blessed or happy are the poor in spirit or blessed or happy are those who mourn. They seem so backwards in that sense and there's such depth to them, but they're just one sentence long and Jesus goes on to the next thing. And here he says, blessed are the pure in, or pure in heart for they shall see God. And then he jumps into, and blessed are the peacemaker, blessed are those who are persecuted. And he just goes on from that. And you just kind of want to stop and go, wait, wait, wait a second. I remember the Old Testament it says no one can see God and what? Live. That's a big deal, right? For it to say nobody can see God, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like the idea that nobody can stand within the epicenter of an atomic bomb and see its blast, right? Pretty much nobody that died from the initial blast of any atomic bomb actually saw it, right? It just all of a sudden, poof, and the only thing that's left of them is a shadow against a wall. That's, that's kind of an image of what the Old Testament describes of what was like for us to see God. You remember uh, the story of the ark being brought back into Jerusalem and the guy trips as they, they, they you know, the, the donkey trips or whatever and wants to come up its cart and the guy just reaches out his hand and just touches the ark thinking, I'm just going to stabilize it. Nobody wants this thing to fall over and all of a sudden, boosh, right? That was... It was signifying this is God's presence, God's holiness. God, they weren't even seeing him in the physical act of touching this thing that God says, this, is, this represents my presence with you, was enough to turn the guy into smoke. And yet Jesus, just in the midst of a bunch of other senses, says, they shall see God. It ought to be one of those things that causes us to pause and ponder, what is it, God, that you are trying to say to us here? This isn't just about heaven as though heaven was just a place. Again, for many people within the realm of Christianity, when we talk about heaven, we just talk about it as the good place that you're going to go to, right? I think there's even a, uh, even outside of Christianity, there's like a, what is a Netflix series, I think, called The Good Place, right? That idea of heaven is kind of just this nice place where bad things don't happen. Uh, and so, in a lot of that kind of sense, when, when people talk about 
heaven or the presence of God. Heaven is the place where the presence of God is, but God is not the end goal for a lot of people when they think about heaven. They just think it's a happy place, a safe place, a place where my bones don't ache anymore and there's no more crime and, and you know everything is lilies and daisies and that kind of stuff. And the reality of Scripture is that when Scripture, every time when it talks about heaven, it talks about that it is the place where God is. God is the goal. God is the substance. He's the place, uh, He's the, the ultimate end of it. This is what Jesus uh, uh, said when He described for us eternal life, that eternal life was to know God. That's, that's what it was. It was to be in His presence. And this is what Jesus says here when He says, they shall see God. And the the imagery of this is He's saying, they shall see God and not die. They they shall see God and and not see Him in the sense of just through a veil dimly or some kind of concept or image of God or something else, but they shall fully see Him. And shall not die. It's an incredible statement that Jesus just makes in passing. Passing, And this is the reward of this happy. Happy are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God and ultimately not die. But there's a problem. There's a huge problem. The reason that man shall not see God and live. Nobody got to see God and not get turned into smoke. Was there was this problem that happened a little while ago called sin that entered into the human heart. When we talk about the heart in present day context in the world in which we live, uh, people use terminology like follow your heart, right? And the Bible has something to say about that. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Did you know that you lie to yourself all the time? I do. All the time. All the time. Uh, when, I, when I gauge my own life, when I gauge my own heart, it's very rare uh, that I am uh, thinking to myself, talking, I don't know if you guys, I mean, it's every thought we have is you talking to yourself, right? Uh, so we're not schizophrenics, we're just talking to ourselves. Uh, and uh, the reality of it is when I, when I step over that line of sin, I have this lying competition with myself, right? That, well, it really wasn't as bad as I think it was. Or that, yeah, that attitude that I have uh, towards this situation or towards this person, man, it's, it's not really what it, what it is. And the reality of that is it's me comparing either against other people or against my own preconceived notion of my own goodness, and the problem with, is, uh, with this is that the very beginning part, the reason that we ought to be happy in this, he says, blessed are the pure in heart. They get to see God. And the problem is, ain't none of us pure in heart. That's what the Bible tells us. That because of our sin, sin again was not the concept of us just being naughty. That uh, it wasn't just, oh, you know, shame on you, you did these things. It was us spitting in the face of our Creator. It was us looking at the God of heaven and all of His goodness and all of His glory and all of His purity and looking at everything that He gave us and said, that's not enough. You're not enough. This is not enough. 
You know, the reality of everything that Satan offered to mankind was he took what was pure and he impurified it just a little bit. He took everything that was good and bent it just slightly off. One degree. 99% good, 1% not. Now eventually over time, that 1% became 2%, became 20%, became 100%, and we had absolute and utter uh, depravity upon the earth, such to which God had to say, I'm grieved that I made man on the earth. That's a pretty bold statement that is written for us in Genesis. And this is the problem. People did what was right in their own eyes, meaning they followed their heart. They lived the way that they felt. If it's good, if it's pleasurable, if, if I like it, then it must be good. If it feels right, how can it be wrong? And this is where the problem comes in. If the, the people that are happy in this verse that Jesus is saying here, happy are the pure in heart for they shall see God. If we say, well, right, happy are the pure in heart. Well, I'm not pure in heart. That's a problem. That's an issue. It's a, it's a gigantic issue. <clears throat> it's, it's, for me, an insurmountable issue, right? <clears throat> One of the things that we are wrestling with as a community uh, that I've learned a little bit more about, I was on a flight here, I, I can't remember when it was, back in uh, March maybe, and uh, one of the guys that I sat next to was an engineer that's basically been the guy that's uh, had the full plan. His company has had the full plan for soil mitigation for Galena because the Air Force uh, was not very careful with jet fuel. And lots and lots and lots of it went into the ground and it went down and down and down. And they're worried that it's going to hit the uh, water table and mess up our water source, right? And so. I don't know how many millions of dollars. He, he described for me, I guess, over on base, there's um, one of the longest horizontal drilled wells in the world uh, that's in Galena, where they basically pumped this well, and then they have a gigantic compressor in a, in a connex over there that literally all winter long pumps air into the ground below the water table and pushes things up to kind of keep everything moving up into the ground. And the reality of this is, you know what, there's millions and millions of gallons of water down there, and probably not millions and millions of gallons of gas, I mean of jet fuel, might be, I don't know, there's probably a lot, but anyways, say it's thousands and thousands of gallons of it, at what point in time does a little bit of that connect with all of that, and now it's no longer able to do what we want it to do? It doesn't take much. The, the idea of purity means without blemish. The reality of our hearts is on days that we think we are great, we're good. Those are the days that we're actually really struggling with pride. One of my favorite quotes from a guy named Charles Haddon Spurgeon, an English preacher, uh, was that he said, uh, do not take offense when people... Uh, accuse you or revile you, uh, you are far worse than they know. And the reality of that is that's, that's not an us being beating ourselves up. This is, this is Christianity is not about us lowering our self-esteem or beating ourselves to a pulp in that kind of sense. It's just us being honest 
about ourselves. See, again, remember I said that the problem with sin is that we lie to ourselves all the time. It's the problem of us looking at our lives and saying, I'm not really as sick as I actually am. Our medical providers that are here today would tell you that is a problem. If you are coming in and you're saying, well, I don't really think I'm that sick. And they're going like, nope, you're pretty sick. This is a problem. Right? It's not us having low self-esteem. It's not us uh, debasing ourselves or making ourselves worth less. Remember what we said about humility is humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's, uh, uh, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. It's the idea of just being honest about the reality of our, our condition. And this is the problem. So we have this reward that we shall see God. And yet the problem is that those that are happy are pure in heart. And that's not us. So what is the solution? Well, the solution is very simple. The solution is the one who said this. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, the reality of the gospel is that for many people, it's never been explicitly said to them. Like we've, we in Christianity oftentimes, or we as, as we express Christianity to the world through tracks and movies and music and bumper stickers and whatever it is that we do, we kind of hem and haw around the nature of the gospel. But the gospel is intended to be explicit to us. The, the Bible or the, uh, uh, the gospel is spoken to us in such a way as to declare to us the glory of God, His beauty, His purity, His righteousness. And then in contrast to that, our life, not just ours uh, generally or ours collectively, but ours personally, is brought before God and we see this is impure. Now again, it doesn't matter in that, that picture of water. If you pick up you know, sludge out of a mud puddle and you hold it up to the light and you go, yeah, that's really dirty. But if you pick up water that's been contaminated by jet fuel and you hold it up and you look at it, you're going to be like, no, that looks pretty good. But it doesn't matter. Both of them will make you sick. There's very much possibility that the one that looks good actually might even make you more sick. The solution is not for us to hold ourselves up against this mud puddle versus this jet fuel water but to hold us up against the standard, the glorious and good God. And the solution to that as we are confronted with God, the reality of the gospel, when we describe the gospel, the gospel is that we were sinners hating God and God sent His Son into the world to substitute His life for our life. That it, in God's eyes, it was Chris Kopp atoning or paying the penalty of my sin in eternity on that cross, and yet it was Jesus doing it for me. That He paid that penalty for me. And the beauty of the gospel is that God is the gospel. God is the one that rectifies our lives, God is the one that saves us, God's the one that calls us, He's the one that changes our life. He shows us by His own character just how impure we are, just how broken we are, just how messed up we are. 
And it's not until that happens that we actually get the chance to see His beauty, His glory, and be changed by it. But for so many people, they have been charmed by the Gospel and not changed by the Gospel. That as we think about the nature of the Gospel, many people are intrigued by the idea that Jesus loves them. But they have not been changed by the fact that Jesus loves them. That the information that Jesus died for them was buried and rose again is just that. It's information. And it's information that they know. It's information that they believe. It's information that they are mildly excited about. That maybe even they frame their life around. But it's never gone from the place of just being a charming bit of information to something that actually changes their life. So the solution is not just knowing the gospel. The solution is being transformed by the gospel. Hearing the message and saying, Jesus, I, I got nothing. You've got to do a work. You've got to change this in me. And the promise of God is that He does. He does. And it doesn't matter how much of a sludge mess your life is. In Christ, He removes all of it. All, there's, there's, he doesn't remove like 99% of it and He leaves some up to you. He removes all of it. And in the sight of God, you are as good as Jesus. That's what it means for Him to impute His righteousness to us. I didn't have the righteousness. In fact, Isaiah uh, has a pretty profound way of this, or describing this. He says, our, uh, our righteous acts, our good deeds are like filthy rags. And actually, the word that he uses there in Hebrew is actually like the, the, um, the Hebrew version of menstrual pads. He says, that's what our good works look like. If we, if we go before God and we say, here's all the good stuff I did. And he goes, what are you bringing that to me for? No, no, no. What we bring to God is we say, let me show you your son whom I loved and trusted with everything. My whole life rests in him. And in Jesus, we get to say happy are the pure in heart. Not because we've purified it ourselves, but because of Jesus, our heart has been purified, transformed, and changed. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been walking with the Lord for any period of time, you'll realize that that purity, though it is real and true, doesn't actually play out in normal weeks-to-week life, right? We still struggle with pride. We still struggle with envy. We still struggle with lust. We still struggle with greed. We still hunger with, or wrestle with unforgiveness. We have these this issues that wrestle out in our heart. And the question is, okay, God, if that's true, how do I know? How do I know that I'm pure of heart? Because I desperately want to see you. This is why Jesus talks about our life in Him as a walk or a practice. To become a Christian is a simple act of faith. Believing that Jesus did everything that He said He was going to do and accomplished on, on, uh, for us, on our behalf, what we could not do. That's, that's the act of becoming a Christian. The act of being a Christian 
is a constant discipline. This is why in English we describe the word of following Jesus as being a disciple. Spiritual disciplines are one of those things that we as Christians are called to grow in, to strengthen ourselves in. That to be a Christian just doesn't mean that I say yes to Jesus and then I live like normal. It says, God, I want to be more like you every single day. So how do I do that? My, the guy that discipled me, my youth pastor when I was a, a teenager, he used an acronym uh, that's been incredibly helpful for me uh, throughout my Christian life and into ministry, and it's the acronym of HABITS. Developing habits, spiritual habits as Christians. H-A-B-I-T-S. H stands for have a quiet time. Spend intentional time every day opening up God's word and praying God speak. Tell me of yourself. Tell me of myself. Tell me of your story. Tell me of your plan for the future. Speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. And that is uh, an intentional time of just communing with God, speaking with God. I would encourage you to think about the concept of having a quiet time, not as a time of Bible study, uh, not as uh, even a time of Scripture memorization, but just as a in the same way of if you have a good friend and you sit down across the table and you say, Tell me about your day. You're not trying to analyze. You're not trying to fix. You're just talking. You're just listening. Spend time with the Lord. Have a quiet time. A stands for accountability. I don't know if you know this, but to be a Christian means that you're not by yourself. We live in the most independent culture in the history of the world. If you study uh, uh, anthropology and look at cultures across the world and across history, there's never been a more personal, individual, individualistic culture than the Western culture that we live in today. Never existed. Which is why when we read Scripture and we read things like you in Scripture, we always interpret as you, you, you. And actually in Greek, it's y'all. They're I don't know if that's I don't know if there is a y'all in Greek, but anyways, it's plural you. That's what it is. You alls, right? Plural. And accountability is us saying, as we are walking with other believers, know me and know my heart. It's us walking with other believers in such a way as to say, you have permission to speak into my life. You have permission to say, Chris, that's jacked up. You also have permission to say, I'm so blessed by how you're growing in this. Now, accountability is not me throwing the burden on you and saying, Ross, it's your job to make sure that I don't sin. It's me making myself open to it. It's me inviting other people in to say, hey, if you see something, right, the TSA announcement, if you see something, say something, right? Speak into my life, be accountable. Have somebody in your life that you are accountable to. So have a quiet time. Accountability. B is Bible study. This is different than quiet time. 
Because what Bible study is, is it's, if you've ever listened to one of my sermons and you're like, where did he get that from? I didn't just pull it out of the air. I read what the scripture said. And I was like, what does that mean? Or what does that word mean? And I drilled down into it and I looked at, you know, when Paul or when Peter talks about grace in this one place, what does that look like as he's talking about grace in other places? And how does that form the whole picture of that? I'm not going to get that if I'm sitting there going, God's, you know, I just want to spend time with you, right? It's, it's, uh, it's that frustrating conversation. It, you know, Bible study is really that frustrating conversation where you're talking to somebody and you say, I want to get to the heart of the issue. I don't want to just talk about it. I don't want to hear about how you're doing and what your day is going on. I want to get to the heart of this issue. And we're like, uh, that's not the place for that. Bible study is us saying, God, how, how do I know more? How do I drill in? The reality of Bible study is that you will never in this life run out of things to learn about who God is and what His plan is for you. Libraries and libraries and libraries have only scratched the surface of what God has taught us in His Word. Bible study. Involvement is I. Involvement. Uh, I say quite often that I can say with 100% certainty that God's plan for your life, His full will for you within the body of Christ is that, not, that you would not simply enact gravity upon a chair. That your involvement in the church is literally that. It's being involved in the family. When we talk about church life in Scripture, it always talks about the church in familial terms. These are our brothers. These are our sisters. This is what it is like for us to be together in that. We are involved in each other's life. We're involved in the ministry of the church. We do not uh, simply just have professional Christians to do the, the ministry stuff, and then we just kind of say, yeah, 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 that's, that's who we hire off to do it. It's one of the things I really value about life here in the village uh, in the sense that uh, there are less professionals to do the things in life, and so much more is owned by people here. Whereas, you know, you go live somewhere else, and, you know, uh, if your toilet breaks, or if somebody dies, or a house burns down, there's some professional that you just hand it off to, and they take care of it. And the beauty of this is the beauty of the church of saying, no, no, we have to own this. If ministry is going to happen, if, if the functions of the church are going to happen, we have to own it. And so ask the question, God, what should my involvement look like? What, what capacity level do I have at this moment, either with my health or with my time or with my, my, uh, where I'm at in parenting? Whatever that is, uh, what level of involvement can I have within the body of the church? T is tithing. It's this, the uh, overarching term that we would talk about uh, biblical money stewardship. Uh, this concept of saying, you know what, if we say, yeah, God, you, you've got my time and my uh, talents and you can use me however you want to do, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to live my finances as though they're, they're not yours. That's not the way that Scripture works. It's saying my whole life belongs to you. And so the concept of tithing is this principle of saying, God, I want you to see your ministry happen. And minister, money is not essential for ministry, but it does actually grease the wheels a little bit. We got lights on. There's coffee back there, right? Uh, we just bought some resources for youth ministry as we kick things off with that. All of that stuff costs money. 
And so how do we do that? How do we live intentionally as to supply for the needs of the church to accomplish what it is that we have said we have involved ourselves in? And then the last S is scripture memory or scripture memorization. And it is a fulfillment of the scriptural terms that say that, God, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I mean, I guess we could say that now that we have smartphones, we do have access to Scripture anywhere we want, right? But the reality of that in those moments, in those moments of temptation, in those moments of struggle, in those moments of heartache, when we cry out, God, help, do you know how usually God answers? With His Word in our mind. You'll remember this Scripture that was meaningful to you at at some sermon or from some Bible study or from some other thing. And the thing that we've found as Christians is that if we memorize it, if we are intentional to say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be able to you know, memorize the whole Old Testament or something like that, but man, I'm going to find a verse, I'm going to find a paragraph, or man, maybe challenge yourself to say, you know what, I'm going to try to memorize an entire book. I've got friends that are in the, in the process of doing that. They're, they're working through entire books in the New Testament, memorizing them. Why? Because they want to have God's Word immediately when they need it. And all of these things, as we have a quiet time, we have accountability, um, uh, we have Bible study, we are involved in the church, uh, we are spending our money wisely, and as we are hiding God's word in our heart, what it does for us is it reinforces the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ that apart from Jesus, we have nothing. And in Jesus, we have everything. That only by Jesus... Can we say, I'm happy because of the pure heart that he's given me and the fact that I know I shall see God. And as we press into those habits, we grow in our understanding of what it is that Jesus did for us. As we press into spiritual disciplines, we never get or we never come to the place where we're going like, yeah, Jesus actually did less than I thought he did for me. No, no, no. It goes the other direction. It goes the I when I said yes to Jesus, however long ago it was, I didn't even have a clue how good and gracious he was and how depraved my heart was. So my challenge to you this morning, either would be if you've never embraced the reality of the gospel. If, like I said, you are one of those people who have been charmed by the gospel, but not changed by the gospel, that in this moment, in desperation, you would call to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've got nothing. I'm blown away. Would you do a miracle in my heart? Save me from my sin. If that's true of you and you've done that, then my next challenge to you would be to think about what it is in your spiritual discipline life that you need to grow in. Don't try to do all six at the same time. Don't do it. Pick one for a season and be intentional. How do I do that? How do I grow in that? Uh, Chris, what are some resources that you can help me with in that? Uh, it, brother, sister, as you're interacting with each other, what, what have you done that's helped you in this thing? and grow in your spiritual habits because our goal, our goal in this life, knowing that Jesus has already made us pure, is by our own effort and the help of uh, Him walking with us in that 
to purge our life so that every day we look more and more like Jesus. Until one day we see him fully and he says, now you'll see the God who loved you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is um, surgically true for us today. I pray, God, for myself and these, my brothers and sisters, this morning, that these words would be true of us, that we would be challenged in our spiritual disciplines to grow in maturity, to grow in our love for you, that we would be changed every single day by the gospel of Jesus Christ, daily conformed to the image of Jesus. God, we are so incredibly thankful for Jesus. We did not deserve your grace. We didn't deserve your purity. And yet you freely gave it to us. And so happy are we who are pure in heart because of you. We love you. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com. Dot com.